So um, thank you for having me. Um, wow, you guys are dark out there. I'm getting older, and I don't see so well. It happens to everybody. <laughs> It'll happen to you if it hasn't. So um, I'm really excited to be here. Um, I, a couple of board members um, from Sunset Youth Services attend church here, Alex and Michael Costanzo. And um, so Alex had, um, I guess, talked to Tiffany, and I don't know, that's why I'm here. I'm here because Alex and Michael um, suggested it, and I'm just really humbled that, um, that Cheryl and Tiffany were um, willing to let me come and um, share with you today. As I talked about, um, as I thought about this topic, um, I have to say, Tiffany is on it. Like, if you don't know this about her, like, this girl is organized. So I think in July, she started emailing me and asking for me for a title for what I was going to speak on. And um, I've, I'm really not that advanced in my planning. <laughs> so... Um, it was, it was clear to me that I might be in over my head at that point, but um, God uses us where we are and how we are. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I have a bit of an allergy situation, so sorry. I sound gargly. A little bit about me. I am um, I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I have a 19-year-old biological son and many, many, many adopted kids and now grandkids. Um, I'm a friend, I'm a dancer, uh, I'm a boss, I'm a dreamer, I'm a visionary, and I love people. Sorry, um, I thought this would happen later on in the talk. <laughs> um, so pulling up this morning, um, I, I was instantly a little traumatized. Um, I haven't been to your location, and I have been on this block way too many times because I have um, buried way too many kids. Thank you. Um, across the street. Thank you. I'll probably need them. Um, and I've been at the police station with kids who have been arrested, and um, I never knew that this was actually Cornerstone. And um, we were just across the street two weeks ago. And um, so this block has actual trauma for me. Um, just pulling up and getting, I was like, my husband dropped me off and I was like, uh, I, I don't know if I can, like I need a minute, you know? Um, Reading through my journals, I realized a few things about myself. You know, when you're getting prepared to share your story, I don't know what you do, but I, ba I go back through journals. And I realized sort of an awakening moment for me, I'm a mess. <laughs> Dude, I was like, I should burn these, because if I die suddenly, like, I don't think I really want anybody looking through this. This is just like a freight train situation going off the tracks. Um, wow. Um, God is amazingly redemptive, and his grace is just so incredibly sufficient. Um, so 
I was going to show you my family. Uh, yeah, that's us. <laughs> um, you might think this is staged, but this is actually us. Um, there we are, yeah. So uh, that is my husband, Ron. He's an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. And our son, Jake, is our little miracle baby, who is 19. But I still call him a baby because I still have some baby fat to lose. And, you know, people are like, oh, how old is your baby? I'm like, 19. But I did not have this before he came. So seems fair to blame it on him. Um, he is in his second year of college in Spokane, Washington. I miss him every single day. He's the light of my life. Um, and so as I was praying about this topic about awakening, I felt, so if, if you know me, you know I'm, I'm a pretty free spirit person. So when somebody tells me there's a theme, I, I automatically freak out a little because I'm like, oh, this is never going to work for me. I can't. And then they're like, and we need an outline. And I'm just like, oh, God, like this, I should have said, no, I can't do this. Um, but God is actually bigger than that. Um, so I was praying and I was asking God, what was my moment of awakening? When was it? Like, bring me to that moment. And clearly as anything, he said, which time? <laughs> and I was like, oh. So I don't know if it's been like this for you, but for me, awakening is a journey. It's not a one-time, you know, we're awake and, dude, we got it together. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a gradual process, kind of like when you wake up in the morning, or at least when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is look at my phone to see if I missed anything in the night, and um, my eyes are, you know, trying to adjust, and, and then you get up, and you might have that first cup of coffee, and you're a little more awake, and, you know, and then you, like, Maybe you're having a leisurely morning, and you're not expecting anyone, and then you're in your nightgown, and the postman comes to the door, and you have that like sudden little like shot of adrenaline, and you're more awake. And I was thinking maybe Starbucks could offer like, you know, like a triple cappuccino sort of like shot of adrenaline situation, like that might work for all of us. But we wake up gradually, and the same is true in our lives. Um, Matthew 26, 40, like, I love this because um, Jesus is having this most intense time, right? Like, he knows what's coming, and he's, he's freaking out a little bit. Like, he's trying to stay connected and trying to, like, be the bigger man, right? Like, he's like, okay, this, is, this has a bigger purpose. Let me stay focused on this. But, he, but it's intense, and he's, if you read it from his point of view, like, he's really grappling with this. But what is happening to his besties? They're asleep. They're asleep. Not once, multiple times. And he's like, dude, what are you doing to me? And they're like, oh, my bad. We'll try harder this time, right? Like, I relate to that. You know? Who of us is not that sleeping person that's like, oh, let me, let me just work on this a little bit harder? I don't know about y'all, but I had to get up earlier this morning than I usually do. I thought you guys were crazy. And um, last night at like 1 o'clock in the morning when I was trying to tell my body that it was time to go to sleep because I had to get up in a few hours, I was starting to get a little like concerned. And um, at 6.25, like, like I, sh I was wide awake. That doesn't usually happen. 
but I was wide awake. I sat up, I got up, I did not feel tired. Like, that's God, if you know me. Um, I didn't even have any coffee. Um, my first real encounter with, with a loving God happened when I was a teenager. And I didn't grow up in a, in a Christian home, and my parents came to the Lord um, when, when my brother and I were teenagers. And, and I remember it really vividly, and it, was, it really was powerful and real to me. But even at that time, I thought, that's cool, and I want that, and I'll have that here, and then I'll have all the fun and do all the other stuff that aren't allowed here. And then when I'm older and ready to settle down, I'll grab that whole enchilada, right? So um, I really was concerned about what it meant to give everything to, to the Lord because you hear people, like you, you do hear stories, you know, and I would just was like, I'm not, like, that's not for me. I'm not ready to go live in, you know, India or, you know, wh whatever, like whoever's talking at the time, that's, I don't want that. And my biggest thing, you'll love this, I didn't want to marry a pastor. <laughs> in case you weren't paying attention to the, he threw that into the mix after we were already engaged. Um, God's tricky like that. Um, but I was afraid, and my, one, of my, one of my moments of awakening was my mom, who was just, my mom is just so amazing, you would love her. But my mom said, whatever God has for you, you are going to be so excited and so passionate because he's going to do it in you before the time comes. It's not like, he, God, God doesn't work like against us. He builds within us. And, and so I started to feel less fearful of what it might look like to sell out. Um, I had an encounter with San Francisco. I was actually um, attending a performing arts uh, college that was based in the Bay Area. And every time I had free time, I came into the city. I just had this draw. So I, I would just come and I don't know what I was doing. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know anybody. And um, I would just walk around, and I just felt so drawn to San Francisco. And I just, I felt really clearly that God um, wanted me to come and be in San Francisco. And I'm totally not a, like, God called me here. God told me to turn right. God found me a parking place. Like, that's not me. <laughs> so if you talk to me, I'm going to be like, mm. Um, but... But there are a few times in my life where I can point to where I feel like that was definitely God in me, drawing me. And, um, and my husband had a separate, before we were together, um, his own separate call to San Francisco. But when we got married, we were in Southern California, and we were youth pastors at a church in Anaheim, and we ended up in San Francisco, and I'm not going to go into that because I don't have enough time. But um, when we told people we were moving to San Francisco, People said things to us like, if I was a bird, I wouldn't fly over that city. Um, we had family members. We were, we were newlyweds, like new, new newlyweds. Um, we had family members that were like, mm, go just get it out of your system. You know, clearly that's a young thing to do. And um, uh, my father-in-law said, we'll give it six years. You know, and then that's usually about how long it takes for people to burn out and this kind of work. 
Um, so we were, we were driving in, and I remember because it was um, December of um, 91, and we were driving our little tiny U-Haul with everything we owned in the world, which was like a set of dishes and a bed, <laughs> and two cats. Um, and we, we were driving in at night, like in the middle of the night, and we came across the Bay Bridge, and we were winding our way um, through, and trust me when I tell you that we drove across the bridge, and I had one of those like, what have we just done moments. We are crazy. No, we don't know. Nobody cares about us here. Like, we could die, and it would be weeks before our parents were like, hey, so have you heard from them? And um, we drove by the lights at a McLaren Lodge. You know how they decorate that big tree at Christmas time? Um, and we drove by the lights, and there was something about seeing those lights and God just quickening to me that we weren't alone and that this really was a divine appointment. <clears throat> we, um, we had spent some time talking with the church that hired us before we came and asking them, like, you know, what are, what's going on with the kids and kind of what are they into and, you know, are, what, are they involved in gangs? Like, what's the deal? And the church would just say, they're wild, <laughs> which, P.S., you should always pay attention to that phrase. <laughs> um, we were like, oh, okay, you know, I don't know what that means, but it sounded harmless. Um, so the, the first Sunday we were at church, one of the kids that was uh, in the youth group typically was not there because he had been shot the night before in gang activity and was in the hospital. And pretty quickly we realized nobody knows anything about these kids or their lives. They're trying to manage the chaos, and trust me, it was chaos. Um, Vicki was, so Vicki's laughing. Vicki and Maria are here, they work at Sunset Youth Services, um, and they were also our kids way back in the day. Vicki's the first kid we ever met when we moved to San Francisco, so she was part of that chaos. Um, so she's laughing because she's got the inside scoop on how chaotic, like they stole the offering money and bought a pit bull and named it Nazarene. <laughs> Not Vicky. Her brothers. <laughs> um, this is being videoed, huh? No? <laughs> um, awakening. God in that time awakened something in us that, the, that wasn't of us. The realization that these kids needed far more than what that particular church was willing to or even capable, really, of, of giving at that time. We were spending our lives in juvenile hall, going to court with kids, trying to keep them from getting kicked out of school, breaking up family fights. Everywhere the kids were, that's where we were. And turns out none of our youth pastor friends could relate to anything that we had going on. And pretty quickly we realized we're making this up as we go along. We started Sunset Youth Services, um, and we just fur became further and further aware of the depth of need in the lives of these kids and their families. I think about um, awakening. There's kind of two things for me. One is the being awake and then falling back to sleep and then having to be woken back up again. You guys wouldn't know anything about that. That's what snooze is for on the alarm clock. But there's also this idea of 
being more and more awake as we go through the day. For some of us, it happens around noon. For others, it may happen at six. But as you go around, as you go through the day, you may feel more and more awake and alive. And <clears throat> I think we both are at different places, we're at both of those different places with God at different times in our life. We may have those times where we fall back asleep and we have to be awake, wakened again. Um, as we began loving kids and showing up where they were, the constant message we would get, no matter how faithful we were um, every day, as we were leaving, the constant question always was, are you coming tomorrow? Are you going to be here tomorrow? And we're a little slow sometimes, but eventually I realized these kids are dealing with abandonment issues. And they don't honestly believe anybody's going to stick around for the long haul. They need to be reassured every single time that we're going to show up when we say we'll show up. In uh, Max Dupre, who's, he was the author of The Art of Leadership. It's a book that was out long ago. You guys are probably all too young, whatever. <laughs> um, but he tells a story in there about his granddaughter. And his granddaughter, Zoe, was born prematurely. She was teeny tiny, like his wedding ring could slide all the way up her, to her shoulder. She was tiny, tiny. And his, it was his daughter's um, child. And the father had taken off. Uh, it was too intense and just too much. And so Max had kind of stepped in as the grandpa, but he had kind of stepped into this role of being there and supporting. And the nurse in the neonatal ward charged him with coming in every day and sticking his gloved hands into the incubator and rubbing her teeny little body and telling her that he loved her because she needed to be able to connect his voice with his touch. Powerful. She lived. She's, she's like a fully functioning grown-up now, probably. Connecting voice with touch. San Francisco has often been said the city, the city is over-evangelized and under-loved. People like to stand out and tell everybody what they're doing wrong. Right? You're going to hell for this. You're going to hell for that. Where's the, the connecting of God's voice and the touch? I'm trying not to use names because this is going to go on the Internet and you just don't know who's going to eventually see it. Um, I'm sure my kids all scour your website and look at your podcast regularly, but <laughs> you never know. Um, we met a girl many, many years ago. And um, she is, um, she was out of control. She was in middle school. And um, she immediately stole the hearts of every single one of us. And, um, and when I tell you she was out of control, out of control, she, um, she broke the glass out of all the pictures in the hallway at the center by just walking down the hallway mad and punching them all. Um, she stormed out of every meeting. She fought with everybody. She 
she turned every school she was in upside down. Um, I sat in a meeting early on with CPS and um, her dad was there. Her mom was on speakerphone because her mom wasn't um, living here. And the first question that they asked in the meeting was for the positives. Like, give us the, we want to start with the positives. And the parents both said, I can't think of any. I can't think of any. So I immediately jumped in and began listing off things that I saw in this little girl that were amazing, that were beautiful, that were positive. And at one point in time early in our relationship, um, she was mad about something, shockingly. And, um, and she was really fighting against me. And I said to her, you can fight as hard and as long as you want to, but I am never going away. I'll never go away. I know you, everybody else has walked away from you, and I'm not leaving. She's now 23 and um, has a three-year-old son who calls me grandma. Um, we were in a meeting a few years ago, and she said, in this meeting with CPS and all the social workers and therapists and everybody at the table, she said, Dawn told me she would never leave. And I didn't believe her. But she's here, and I know she'll never walk out on me. So you guys can say whatever you're going to say, and you can make whatever plan you're going to make, and I know that the people who love me at Sunset Youth Services are going to be in my corner. She, we have her picture. There she is. Yeah, that's just a normal day for us, I, you know. Um, connecting the voice with the touch, right? The awakening for us about what it means to really dig in deep. When we moved here to be youth pastors, the, the typical... The average stay of a youth pastor at a church was two and a half years. Two and a half years. And then people would move on to someplace else. Why? Because it gets hard, usually after the honeymoon period. You guys know. Right? Pastoring is hard. Being invested in people's lives is hard. It's messy. There was a time around five years. I moved a lot growing up, so there was a time around the five-year mark where I was kind of itchy and stuff wasn't going great. And we were having um, all bad things and no victories. And I was really begging God to just kill it so that we didn't have to feel guilty and we could leave. <laughs> um, we had, there was a team of us at that point in time that were, had been working together and the team had relocated and some people had split up and people had moved away. And we had a, our son at that point in time and I was just ready to be like, let me just go where it's easier. Let me go to like the suburbs and be a soccer mom and just be all about my son. And I, it was a moment of awakening for me, that wrestling between do we dig deeper and really stick it out or can we escape? It turns out you cannot unring the bell and what you know, you know. 
So I don't, I probably could live in like Pleasanton and be a soccer mom and I would still know what is going on because I've seen it. It's not gonna happen. Micah 6.8 clearly tells us what is expected of us. Awake and seek justice. Awake and love mercy. Awake and walk humbly with your God. It's not, a, it's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea if you get around to it, if every, all the bills are paid and everything's going well. It's a command. He says God, God instructs us on how to live a holy life. Seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. What does that look like in our lives? It looks different. You know, your story is not my story. But, but the command is the same if we love God. Understanding the plight of others um, has been a journey of awakening for us. Uh, I have to say, in the early days, the, our first core group of kids were um, about 99% of them were Palestinian. And that was at the very beginning of Desert Storm. Um, so that was sort of when the United States was all of a sudden like, who are Arabic people and what is this about? Um, so we got thrown in as youth pastors to this group of kids from a culture that we knew nothing about and had absolutely no reference point. And they were talking about how they hated Schwarzkopf and how it was Arab solutions for Arab problems and how the United States, you know, this and that, and their parents were extremely vocal and volatile. And, and I remember thinking, I don't know anything about this. And in this moment, do I feel defensive of like, people are, people are kind of, I'm, I'm white, y'all. I know you guys didn't know that. <laughs> Try to keep that hidden from the kids. Um, grappling with white privilege. It's hard, right? White privilege is automatic. I can't help it. I was born in this skin. But defending it is a choice. And if we don't take the time to listen to other people's experience and understand what it is that they're trying to say because we're so defensive about how I personally never owned a slave or my, right? We're immediately putting those walls up. <laughs> what does it mean to walk humbly with God? We have to sit with people and hear the story. We have to sit in their pain. That doesn't mean we solve the problem, right? We like to come in and fix it, especially men. But <laughs> women can do this too. We're guilty too, right? Somebody's hurting that we love and we wanna be like, 
well, they're in a better place or, you know, all things happen for a reason and God never gives us more than, he can, than we can handle. Bull. That is not true. And it's not helpful. It's not helpful. Sit in the pain. Sit in the pain. It's a sacred space to be. But it costs. Loving broken people costs. It breaks your heart. And it steals part of your, your soul. But God is enough. If we don't sit in the pain, people will never be healed. I love you. <laughs> Keep going, girl. I need you in my corner. Um, we have, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm actually going to, where's my booth people? I can't even see them. Hello. Um, I'll, I'll cue you in a minute. Um, I'm going to skip ahead and tell you a little something. So we have a, a, a kid who, I, I don't think I'm going to get through this one without a lot of tears, so I'm just going to blurt it out now, and then we'll move on. So this kid came to us because he was court-ordered. And um, he came through the door with, like, not a chip on his shoulder. We're talking, like, a mountain on his shoulder. And um, he came in just mugging, just, you know, you could just, like, feel hatred barbs, like, shooting off of him and... He had community service to do, and, um, and we kept trying to connect with him. And, you know, every day he kind of just, he rebuffed you at every glance, and just if you touched him, he, you know, just, and if you smiled at him, he'd be like, what are you looking at? You don't know me, don't, you know, just, um, he, he came every day because he had to. And every day we searched for those ways to connect. And after, toward the end of his community service, he came into my office. It started out where I would go out and find him, and I would try, you know, to connect. And we're very huggy at Sunset Youth Services, because our kids don't get enough hugs, and frankly, neither do we. So we're, we use them to hug us, too. <laughs> Hugging is very healthy. Um, pretty soon, he would, he would let me touch him on the arm, you know, hey, how you doing? You know, pretty soon, pretty soon he'd let me hug him. Pretty soon he started coming into my office to find me when he would get there. Pretty soon he'd hug me. One day he said to me, I'm almost done with my hours. We're talking lots of hours. Like, this is not a week. This is not Mr. Holland's opus, okay? <laughs> is that even about that? I don't know. I don't watch those movies because they make me depressed. I'm like, how do these people do it in a year? Um, he came in and said, hey, I'm almost done with my hours, so don't get attached to me because when my hours are done, I'm out and you guys are never going to see me again. And I said, ooh, that sucks because I'm already attached. And he was like, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe, maybe sometimes I'll come in and say hi. I was like, well, that's a start. Or... If we see you, maybe we could come where we know that you hang out. We could say hi. He's like, yeah, maybe. <clears throat> that was eight years ago. 
since then, we have essentially become his foster parents. Um, he, his, he doesn't have family, and I'm not going to go into his story because it'll just take too long, but um, right before Christmas, his brother died. The only family that he had, his younger brother, which is why we were across the street. Um, he has a three-month-old baby girl, and Ron, Ron and I were babysitting um, for her one night, and he came, he came with, his, with her mom to drop the baby off at her house. And when they came in, he shoved the baby into my arms and grabbed her by the arm and said, come see my room. I thought I misunderstood him. And then he said again, come see my room. And he pulled her by the arm into our guest bedroom. Awakening. Right? My guest bedroom is the most stable bedroom he's ever had. And then I thought, how many of these kids consider that room their room? <laughs> That's my laundry room, <laughs> for real. Consistency, connecting your voice with your touch. He's still angry. He's more angry now maybe than ever before. And I'm not going to give you his name, but I would beseech you to pray for him. Because I'm afraid we're going to lose him. He is um, he's on a course of destruction right now, and only God can change that. Right? Only, only God can bring joy in the morning. Sometimes those nights are freaking years long. But God will bring joy in the morning. Through the years, our, our, offering, our program offerings at Sunset Youth Services have changed because we don't really care a lot about our programs. We use them as a vehicle to build relationships with people that we love and want to journey with. So we don't have the sacred horse kind of deal like, oh, we're keeping this baby alive as limping into the future. No, we'll kill it. I don't care. Right now, uh, along with our case management, which is really our, our intensive relationship building where we walk link step with kids through court, through school, through family, we take them to the doctor, we are surrogate family. Um, our focus programmatically is on digital arts. And the reason it's on digital arts is because our kids are getting left behind. We have a whole group of kids who cannot compete in today's marketplace because they have been sinking their entire lives. Imagine if you were in the middle of a lake in the deepest part where you have no idea where the bottom is and you've been treading water just trying to stay afloat. And somebody comes out to you and hands you a set of weights 
and a baby and a puppy. And then says to you, if you can jump into this boat without grabbing onto anything, we'll row you to shore. That's where our kids are. You cannot jump without something to hit solid. And if you've raised kids, you know my son is 19 years old, and I spend a lot of my time while he's away at college talking him back to the shore, <laughs> reminding him that he can swim. And nobody's handing him weights and babies, and right? He can find his way back to the shore. Our kids have nothing to jump off of. So the whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just try harder. And if you didn't sag your pants, people would treat you different. Like, come on now, people. You know, if you have to eat your belt to stay alive, your, your pants are going to sag. Digital arts, getting kids competitive through things they care about. We have a youth-run record label. We hire kids to run a record label. We, um, we have music studios. We have multiple studios in our center. We have two mobile cent, um, booths we take out, and we, we have one actually up in Juvenile Hall right now. Oh, there's our youth center. Um, I'm going to show you a video that our kids, this is original song and video that the kids did, um, and it is, it's called Invisibility, and, and the message behind this video is how our kids feel growing up in a city that they can't afford to live in. How invisible they feel as they're walking through life in San Francisco. So um, the message that they have is a message of asking for support and for resources and for help to get something to jump off of. So let's watch the video and then we'll talk some more. Helping low-income or at-risk youth, they often mention jobs. Mission District is concerned about losing its Latino character. Charge Silicon Valley companies that shuttle their employees. Privatization of public spaces in San Francisco. Together to face what they see as a common threat, gentrification. All in a last-ditch effort to try and save their youth jobs. Francisco City Hall, a local youth leader, shares his perspective. What do you want to see change? Saturday morning, no TV to watch my cartoons, no milk for my cereal, no bowl and no spoon. Yo, mom, when we gonna get some food in this house? She said, as soon as that food stamps check comes around, but see, my dad's a contradiction. He takes the food stamps, sells them to dolphins, and uses the earnings to buy crack with it. See, my dad's tripping, doing lines on my math book. Said my mom was pretty stupid, so we hit her with my math book. I'm crying, feeling so traumatized. My mom Yo. Go to your room right now. Do as I say. Your dad has lost his mind. What would you do if you were here instead? Sitting on this bed with all of these thoughts in your head. Hungry, but all there is 
breakfast to eat is some bread. I can't wait till Monday, cause school's the only place that I get fed. Heard commotion outside, so I jumped out of my bed. Looked out the window and seen the dude get shot in the head. Why is this the world that the youngin' has to live in? Cause in my neighborhood, we never ever see white pickets. All you see is dead bodies on the street and a whole hour went by before I seen the police. Think about it, what if you were the first hand witness? They're building more jails instead of schools, man, with instance, they say education is power. Well, that's very strange, cause I'm at school every day and there's no food on my dinner plate. I can't stop my dad from swinging at my mom anyway. Copart is a lot of kids go through this on any given day. Those with the wealth that never dealt with poverty understand that this verse really means a whole lot to me. I'm tired of the system beating and trying to topple me. Help me out. Put down the wine glass and stop watching me. Too many people living in Overcapacity, living in poverty, possibly, probably Gain nothing from it but invisibility And I just wanna make a change but I keep screaming They seem not to hear my name so I, I shout louder I keep fighting, keep screaming, make my way and see the door die Make a living, there's too many people I'm walking in a haystack Trying to find my needle, I see people Driving Lamborghinis and Range Rovers I'm going, I'm growing Will I be the four-leaf clover? I don't know Life goes On and on, on and on Down the road It's hard to tell what I want They don't see what I see My mind has a vision But my eyes start to bleed Yes, my eyes start to bleed Bleed the color of life A beautiful picture But then black and white See, it's lacking some things Ain't a nice view to see Reality is a tell of y'all and one to me. You see, I'm one person trying to make an impact for the youth growing up, trying to win my city back. Man, it ain't like how it used to be. Is it this a democracy? Confused on the morality. Can someone come explain to me if you could grab a newborn and look straight in its eyes? Tell that baby that they'll need a lot to stay alive. Tell that baby he's at the bottom and won't rise. It'd be better to pull the and try to survive and man that's the truth what have we come to prioritize internet over a roof and man that's the truth what have we come to one percent controls the money homie that's the proof too many people living in this city it's overcapacity overcapacity living in poverty possibly poverty gain nothing from it but invisibility just wanna make a change, but I keep screaming. They seem not to hear my name, so I shout louder. I keep fighting, keep screaming, make my way and see the door die. Make a difference in the lives of youth. We're calling on everyone, and that means you to share your talents, your passions, your motivation, your time, whatever it may be, to to help make a difference, make a change. Change starts with you. Hashtag be the change. Well, there you have it, an impassioned call to invest in the lives of youth. Live from San Francisco, I'm Jessica Xavier, signing off.
I agree. I think they're pretty amazing. Uh, you can buy our CDs, by the way. <laughs> um, what God has given us to share and to bring to, to the lives of kids has to do with every day waking up and asking about the possibilities of what there is and what they need and how we can be in that with them. The family support pieces, the, the sitting, sitting in the pain. Um, I always wanted a big family. So uh, I always wanted a lot of kids. I thought it'd be awesome to, you know, drive around in a, I don't know, a bus. I don't know. I, had a lot of, I wanted a lot of kids. And, um, and I ended up with one in vitro miracle. And a lot of kids that weren't what I was expecting. Sometimes when we wake up, our reality is different than what we expected. But what God has done inside of us to create a place for that to be our reality and our passion, that's what, that's what my mom was talking about. Trusting God to, to build those things within us. If we were to wake up, uh, so this story in Kings, really fast. Um, 1 Kings 17, 12. I'm actually going to read this one because... Um, I find it so amazing. Um, some people who know me will let you know that I'm kind of a global person. So I tend to be very like all or nothing and you know, it's like feast and famine and you know, there, there can be these one thing where I'm like, well, this is probably gonna be our last payroll because that's just weird, that's how it is. Like there's no more money, so. Um, so Eli, um, as surely as the Lord your God lives, he re she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, I like this lady. <laughs> I feel you, girl. I'm going to make one little pancake and then I'm going to die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make me a small cake of bread and bring it, bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. So she went and did that. And if you know the story, they ate pancakes every day. But... It, Every day there was enough for the day. So I always equate this to money because I'm the executive director of a nonprofit and we equate everything to staying alive because we have to pay the bills. But as I was thinking in the context of awakening, I was struck by the, the way that this passage can be talking about the process of waking up. And if God was to wake us up from sleeping to fully awake, we might go blind, right? Our eyes have to process, right? The, those pupils have to start to constrict. You know, you, you, the, I told you already when I wake up, I look at my phone. Dude, I, I think I'm killing myself actually doing that because it's so bright. Our eyes have to adjust. 
We have to, it's a process for us to become fully awake. And God is in that process. So we aren't asleep and then awake and then that's the end, right? It's not, we don't become 30 and suddenly have it all together and have all the answers and we're like finished adults like we all thought our parents were, right? When I turned 30, I had a moment where I was like, what have I done wrong? I don't know anything. My, my mom knew everything at 30. Turns out, not so much. It's a process. And giving ourselves freedom to, to be in that process with God. To say, I want to be fully awake. And it's okay that I'm on this journey, right? It's okay that I'm grappling with what it means to be white in a culture where we are predominantly oppressive. Can, I can't change it, but I can make changes. What does it mean to step out the door and recognize that people are burying their sons and their daughters that have been gunned down and have overdosed and have let the pain of this world push them under in the lake? There's the, the story, I'm sure you've all heard of it, the story about the guy who is getting the starfish. You guys all know that story? Taking the starfish off the shore and throwing them back out to sea, right? And, and the guy comes along and is like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm saving these starfish. Like, they're, you know, they have to be in the water. And he's like, you're never going to win. You're never going to, you're never going to save. It's not going to make a difference. And the guy says, it's making a difference for this one. Right? We can't, we can't do it all. There are days where we feel like the weight of the world, like because you make a difference for one and there's, you know, countless to take that one place. It's a journey. It's a lockstep. It's hanging on the way we do with our own family members, that we're in it right? The ride or die. The kids say, you're my ride or die, right? We're your family. Whether you're blood family, whether you're, you know, whatever it is, you, you've made a commitment to ride it out, to sit in the pain, to process the heartache. Yesterday, I had some of the meanest things said to me that I have ever had said to me by one of these kids that I love with all my heart. And the whole time I had to keep saying to myself, this is not about, this is not about what he's saying to you. First of all, that's the pain and other chemicals talking. Second of all, sitting with broken people and loving them costs. It's not fun. It costs you more than it gives you. It's not easy. It's not, you know, happy, happy, joy, joy. We all like sit together and kumbaya. It's not. It's ugly. It's messy. And people are not usually grateful. Right? That's why I hate those movies. Right? <laughs> they always end with some, like, crazy, like, kumbaya moment. 
I'm not saying they're never grateful. And I'm not saying it never moves. Like years, years. When we were new in this work, <clears throat> we had a couple churches that were supporting our work. And, and I remember that they would, come, they would ask me to come and speak at their churches. And they would always ask me, like, what are your success stories? And I would be like, you know what the successes are? We're there. We haven't left. Early on, one of my girls was graduating from high school, and it had been a long-fought battle, sometimes I think more by me than her. But um, she was, she was going to graduate. And I was feeling a little down, but this group of girls that I had been working with was graduating, and I had been meeting with them on campus for years, since middle school, all the way through high school, working with these girls. And I said to her, I'm feeling a little sad because you guys are graduating and you're not going to be there and I'm still going to be there. And she said, yeah, and that's the way it should be. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, because we want our family to be where we need them, right? I want my mom, I got my mom a cell phone because I need that woman when I need her, <laughs> right? My time. How are we showing up in the world around us? Whose pain are you sitting in? Who are you trying to fix? We can't fix it. And only God can bring healing. And it is a lifelong journey to wholeness, especially when you start in the middle of the lake with people pushing you under. God, you know the faces and the hearts of each person that was on my mind as I prepared to speak today. And you know the story of each person in this room intimately. I ask you, Lord, in the way that only you can, to come and bring us to awake, awakening. If it's gradual, it's over time. If it's moment by moment, if we've fallen back asleep, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would just, in your infinite, shocking patience and mercy and grace and redemptive love bring us to life. Point us to the pain, Lord. Remind us that our life as believers is not supposed to be comfortable and easy. And this is a broken and hurting world that doesn't need to be preached at, but definitely needs to be loved. Do your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.